today's episode of the Legendary Life Podcast, we welcome strength and conditioning coach Sabina Scala. And I actually met Sabina through a mutual friend of ours, Mike Mahler. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you remember Mike's episode on hormone optimization. And I've also been a guest on Mike's show, Live Life Aggressively as well. And that's where I heard Sabina first interviewed. And she was just a wealth of information when it comes to strength training, conditioning training, and she specializes in training mixed martial arts athletes and Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes. So if you're looking to take your training up to a different level, a more intense level, and to get better results from what you do, you're gonna learn a lot from today's interview. Cause she's trained under some of the world's top coaches, including Mark Twite from Jim Jones, Mike Mahler, of course, from Aggressive Strength, Martin Rooney, from Training for Warriors. And if you haven't heard of Martin, he's the guy who trained Henzo Gracie and the Henzo Gracie fight team back when Pride FC was going on. And if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, you know exactly who Henzo Gracie is and what Pride was. And if you haven't, YouTube it because some of the most amazing mixed martial arts fights happen on Pride. Anyway, she's also trained under Steve Cotter and taught seminars and workshops alongside Andy Bolton, who is another legend in the strength and conditioning community, and Brooks Kubik, who I'd love to have on the show eventually. He's actually an attorney who's written books on old school physical culture and strength training, like dinosaur training. Great book. Anyway, Sabina is here today to share her information with you. Get ready to learn a lot and get ready to apply it to get better results in your training. Let's get to the interview. All right, so Sabina Scala, this has been a long time coming. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really happy to have you today. Thank you for having me on. I just listened to the episode with Mike Muller just a couple of days ago, and I loved it. So thanks. Glad to be on. Yeah, Mike's the man. He's a mutual friend of ours. I learned about you through him, and I listened to your interview with Mike. I learned a lot, and I thought that you would be perfect for this show because you're a very experienced strength and conditioning coach. You specialize in training MMA athletes, although I'm sure you have a lot of different clients. You've worked with top coaches like Mark Twite from Jim Jones. You've worked with Mike, who we've always already mentioned, Mike Mahler, Martin Rooney, Steve Cotter, Gil Stevenson, yes. uh, to name a few. So let's start with your story. Like, how did you get into this and how did you get to specialize with MMA athletes? I trained since I was a kid. I don't even remember when I started. My sports background is kayaking, which I did back in my country until I was 16. Then I had to make a choice. I mean, at that time, my parents had to make a choice for me, either to go to sports championship school or just continue so I could go to any university I wanted to. And at that time, we decided against the sports championship school, which was a tragedy for me. But in the end, I think it worked out better because during the communist time they like to give 
teenagers different substances that better the performance. So I probably would have a beard and mustache if I went to <laughs> if I went to that sport championship school. I actually studied economics, so I have a master's in economics, and I did a corporate job for about five years. During that time, I still trained, not as hard as I trained when I did kayaking, but training was always present in my life. And then when I moved to London, which I moved here to postgraduate marketing communications studies, I kind of lasted at the uni for three days and then I took my papers out. I follow what I really wanted to do. So I just did personal trainers course here and then I was traveling around the world doing as many seminars as many courses as I could do and this is how I actually met Mark Twight because I went to Jim Jones ages ago that must have been like four or five years ago yeah I loved it there when the quite a good few couple of times more than they came over here I helped them with the seminars here and Mark is actually a person I definitely credit for pushing me into the right direction he was the first person in my life in my training life that pushed me the direction I went basically so thanks to him <laughs> very I, cool and Probably a lot of people out there don't know who Mark Twight is. If you don't, he's the guy who got, if you saw Man of Steel, he's the guy, I forgot the actor's name, but the one they got into shape for, Henry Cavill. He's the guy who got Henry Cavill into shape for Superman. And Henry Cavill, if you saw that movie, looked jacked. And if you saw him before that movie, he was on the thin side. He was kind of, okay, maybe you look like you do some sit-ups and some push-ups maybe and go swimming and perhaps a run. But can you talk a little bit about Jim Jones? just so the listeners out there know who he is how I came across Mark it was just after the movie 300 because he trained the actors for that movie as well so at that time I remember it was a private facility not really open for everyone I believe that has changed I haven't been in touch with them for quite a while when I was there it was basically invitation only and I went there for a seminar which you could pay for and go I traveled to Salt Lake City just to go for a two-day seminar but I booked my flight like two weeks later because I was hoping he would invite me to stay and he actually did <laughs> which cool. worked out pretty well and yeah I mean they train Mark is probably best known to like general public for training Henry Cavill for training the guys for 300 but they train a lot of athletes there some of the trainers excellent BJJ athletes over there Rob McDonald is a former UFC fighter he's one of the head coaches there it's just a great place completely that was before all the CrossFit gyms came over to England and so on and so on for me that was like a really nice rough place no mirrors just powerlifting racks, rings, pull-up bars, airdines, which were my nightmare. But <laughs> I have a love and a hate relationship with airdines. Rowers, just really, really great place, really cool people. I loved going there. Cool. It's a different take on what a lot of people, it's kind of like CrossFit, but he's done something very different with it. And it's very yeah. cool and it's more underground and he's getting great results and has a lot of great athletes. Well, let's get into you because you learn from all these great people and now you have a very interesting niche in the fitness industry. And by the way, this is a health, fitness and personal development podcast for men who aren't necessarily fitness professionals. So let's talk a little bit about the MMA training. Then I'd love to get into some practical tips from what you know, because you have such a great foundation of experience and the scientific background of how to train. So mm -hmm. let's talk about MMA athletes. How'd you get into training 
MMA athletes and Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes? It all started when I was doing my strength and conditioning coach qualifications. One of the requirements was that you had to train an athlete for three months, write a whole case about it, and then kind of defend the case in front of the people from UKCA, I think. Cool. So I started, I trained a guy who was a kickboxer at the time, and it worked out pretty well. So then I started training his friend who was an MMA guy. He wasn't anything, and not a pro, he was amateur. And then it worked out well. Uh, and then like slowly, slowly people started coming to me. Now, I know that this is probably, and I did it on purpose. I wanted to be in that niche, but I don't actually train that many MMA athletes. I work on a day-to-day -day basis. So regularly for a number of years, I've been working with four of them. And for me, in terms of having the athletes who I train, as I said, on a day-to-day -day basis, four is honestly just enough because I can give them my whole time. I can spend as much time with them as I need to. We in touch in between training sessions as well. I don't believe if I ever read about any trainer or coach that they trained a hundred of Olympic athletes. For me, it's not training. I don't say that I trained someone if I trained that person only twice, three times. So even if I trained them for a month, if they're very good, it's not because of what I've done. If I train someone, that has to be at least for half a year. The rest of the fighters I work with, I work with more a basis of, I consult for them. Also work with a physio, sports physiotherapy clinic called Balance in London. So we have a lot of athletes that come with injuries when they're too good for physiotherapy. Already. Right. They're not good enough to come back to their spot. This is when they come to me. So I may see them six, seven times. And then I kind of get them ready, write down for them what to do in between. And then they come over every month just to review it with me. On a regular basis, I have four, four fighters that I work with very closely. And it's been for the last, I think, four or three years. General idea was that we rotate the fighters every year. So I should change the four I have each year into different four but we kind of became like a family so <laughs> it's the same guys over and over again <laughs> for me that's cool and if you're listening to this i want you to hear sabina's background because she is legit she's the real deal she's not a fitness marketer she is a person who has a very strong level of experience and the scientific foundation also like works with all these amazing athletes both MMA athlete and other types of athletes and, and people who just want to get into better shape. So I just wanted you to know, like you're getting some advice, some knowledge from a high level person right now. So Sabina, that is awesome. Let's talk a little bit about like the types of training you do. Well, let's put it like this right now in fitness for the general population, for people who want to get into really great shape, it's like, oh, well, you got to do sprints because sprints, it's really intense anaerobic training and it'll build muscle and burn fat like crazy. And so will high intensity interval training. And everybody is obsessed with like that type of training. What mistakes do you see a lot of general people who just want to lose some body fat, build a little bit of muscle, look good, mm -hmm. feel good? What mistakes do you see them making with their training? I have nothing against high intensity training, sprints, intervals, even CrossFit style of training, but you have to earn the right to do this type of training. If you haven't got the foundation, 
there is no way I would allow someone to sprint if their glutes are not firing and the knees are buckling in and so on and so on. So for me, the biggest mistake from general public, a lot of people look at training through the perspective of I have to get sweaty, I have to get tired, and the best thing I can do is crawl out of the gym afterwards because <laughs> I'm so tired I can't walk. It's not like that. The biggest mistake is not having that foundation. Hence, a lot of injuries. Hence, people say, oh, running is bad for me. My back hurts, my knees hurt, and so on and so on. Of course, they hurt. If you can't run properly, they will be hurting. So I would recommend get a good trainer. Don't rush into high-intensity interval training, which actually for general population, it can be quite a good thing further down the line, but make sure your body is working as it should be. It has got a good structure. The muscles are firing as they should be. So it's better to spend a month or two putting that good foundation and also developing your cardiorespiratory fitness, which at the beginning, long, slow cardio is actually really beneficial for someone who hasn't done anything like that before because it develops all the vascular network around the muscles, which later on you will need in order to remove all the waste products and deliver the nutrients to the muscles so if you haven't got that don't rush into interval training my advice is just build solid foundation and from then on once that's in place you can do whatever you want you can go more into strength training you can go into strength and power training you can go more into ultra endurance if you want to but the foundation is the most important thing yeah, build that foundation of solid movement. Make sure you have a certain level of expertise in the types of movements, yes. basic movements. Make sure you handle any injuries and any muscles that may be underdeveloped or not firing correctly, as you said, Sabina. Build some cardiorespiratory endurance, otherwise known as aerobic training or going for longer jogs or power walks or that type yep. of thing, which is not very in vogue in fitness. It's all about, no, that doesn't do anything. You know, you can even get fatter. It can scar your heart, but... You know, that's really the ultra marathon guys who've done like, who are part of the Marathon 100 Club. You know, I'm so happy to have you on because you're already sharing some really awesome advice that if the guys listening put to use, it will completely change the way they look at training and look at uh, exactly. and get their results. So let's start with this. So you said, okay, well, first get that foundation down. And you said maybe work with a trainer, although it's really hard to find good trainers. Depending on where you are, here in Miami Beach, they're really bad. It's all about what we just talked about. It's high intensity interval training, getting people who shouldn't be jumping around, doing yeah. running yeah. sprints, even though it's not really a sprint because they are they don't have the power in the muscles or in the heart to do that type of intense training. So Sabina, for someone who, let's say someone can't find a good trainer, you know, maybe can't afford it. What types of things would you recommend that they start with? I know it's a general question and you're mm -hmm. the consummate exercise professional, but let's try to help the people and give them some general recommendations, at least point them in the right direction. I know what some people think about YouTube University. A lot of good information there. I would look at some trainers and listen to the lectures or just watch the technique. Mm. In terms of the technique and kettlebell training, Mike Moller definitely has got some of the best information. Same with nutrition and hormonal optimization. There is a, a guy called Eric Cressy 
who I really like the information he puts out there. There are bits and pieces that I actually kind of don't agree with what he says, but it doesn't mean it's not true what he says. I may be wrong, but most of the stuff he puts out there, I think it's of very good quality. For me, as a foundation for everyone, I would like the people to learn how to squat whether they learn it from YouTube or by watching other people, how to deadlift, so how to lift stuff up, how to push and how to pull. That's the most important at the very beginning. So if they can master these moves or even go, I don't know, if they can't afford the trainer, they can go to a seminar, which may be bigger expense in terms of at the time, calculating long term is going to be less expensive than having a trainer. Just focus on these four moves at the very beginning and then build up from there. I still recommend to get a trainer. Let's yeah. build coffee in Starbucks and so on. And I think I'm a trainer and I have a trainer, <laughs> even two. So if you really want it, you will make sure you have the money for it. I like it. And I'm totally with you on that. Obviously, I've been in the fitness profession for 15 years as a personal trainer. So obviously I believe in it as well. And I think it's the best thing anybody can do to get with a good trainer, to get them on the right path, to learn the proper technique, to get down a solid foundation, like you said, of uh, exercise and also working on all those muscles that may be underdeveloped and not firing correctly. I'm totally with you on that. So guys, invest in that. If you can, invest in it. It's going to set the foundation. It's like having someone set up your business for you, get all the policies and the tax stuff and the accountant stuff handled so you can focus on what you really want to focus on, which is getting into the gym and pushing hard, but you got to have that foundation. Yeah, good stuff, Sabina. Uh, Gina, I just remembered, I have a friend here, he's a personal trainer, but he deals only with kind of high-end clientele. So he will get clients, he takes on training three times a week, he only takes them on for 12 weeks, but they paid him about 10,000 pounds which is quite a bit. So he yeah. can afford to take like four clients at the time. And then he rotates them. And he actually has got a lot of clients. So everyone is just like, man, how do you do it? But because funny in this country, I've noticed that actually people who have money will be the people who will try to bargain the price most. <laughs> so what he does, he sees them buying a new car, Porsche or something like that. What he says if they tell him they haven't got enough money to pay him the 10,000, he says, well, so you telling me you've just invested in this car and you haven't got the money to invest in your body, which is something you kind of stuck with until the end of your life. That's rubbish. And yeah, he does very well. Yeah. Getting people in the right mindset and getting their priorities straight. Sabina, I got to get you on my other show, Fit Pro Radio, to have you share some of that with the fitness professionals that we reach because what you do, your niche and everything. Story for another time. We'll connect about that later, but awesome. So let's get into, okay, so let's say there's some people out there, they have their foundation down. Maybe they work with a trainer. Maybe they went to YouTube university, as you called it. Let's help them understand the style of training that you do. That is the blocking of things. Because I think that so many people will go into the gym, the good foundation, but they go in there to work out, like you said, get really tired, but they don't focus on like 
getting better. You and yeah. I, we don't give a shit about a good workout unless it's getting exactly. us towards a goal. Lifting more weight, doing more reps, getting better technique with maybe a gymnastics movement. So let's talk a little bit about where those guys are going wrong. I don't want to offend anyone, but the worst people to work with are people with type A personality because they have to do stuff and they have to do a lot of it. And the quality doesn't really matter for them at the very beginning. I actually trained an ex-military, ex-special forces guy. Now he's all right, but the beginnings, like literally first two months were really difficult for us because every time <laughs> he was performing repetition of an exercise, I wasn't counting it because it wasn't a correct repetition. So he was getting really frustrated because he just wanted to get on with the workout. Yeah. And for me, I don't get on with the workout. I'm focused only at one repetition at the time because I want that repetition to be perfect. So even if I have in my head say, okay, I'm doing 10 pull-ups and by the eighth one, I feel like I want to keep and then I know I cannot finish, I cannot complete all 10 because I'll keep them. I'll jump off, give myself five seconds, 10 seconds, shake off jump back on and complete two correct repetitions as opposed to keeping or sacrificing the quality for the quantity. And this applies to every single exercise. And it's not like you're going to be a Hulk every single day. That doesn't happen in my own training. I have scheduled three heavy sessions during the week and I'm type A personality. So I have to do stuff every day. But the three sessions are the most important and they are protected. So I have to be rested for these sessions and I can't muck around. I just do what I've planned in my training log and this is all I do. I don't do any more, even if I'm tempted, because I know I have to save myself for the next session. And in between the sessions, I do something light. So I can go for a jog. I swim a lot recently because that actually helps my recovery. But it's not going crazy full out. Sometimes if I have really good week, I can go crazy sprint swimming. But as soon as I feel my weights are going down in the gym, I just back off. Because whatever you do, when you train, if you run a training log, and I recommend everyone does it, the numbers don't lie. If you're training hard, but you're not improving, and sometimes you're actually getting worse, something is not working. And it yes. doesn't matter if you do six, seven sessions a week. That can be actually really detrimental. So just focus on the main sessions. Think about what you want to improve and work towards it. I'm working on my squats and deadlifts at the moment, mostly. So everything I do is just geared towards them. I used to love to put Olympic weightlifting session during the week just because I like the move and I like the explosiveness of, I love power clean, but, but now they're <laughs> gone because they weren't helping me at all at this stage in improving my deadlift and squat because I was doing heavy power cleans, heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, and then lighter squats, but sp at speed lighter deadlifts at speed and, and in the end I was just tired and aching all the time so something had to go and it's power clean it's gonna come back but not until I get the numbers on the lifts I'm focused on that I want <laughs> that was awesome because that's how a professional trains that's how someone who knows what they're doing trains and that's what I'm doing I'm working on body weight gymnastics movements I've cut back on everything else so I can do my L-sit to handstand and work on some of the other things that I'm working on. 
and I've cut out everything else. I'm not doing all this stuff that I typically like to do. And that's so important that everyone hears that because you focus on technique. A few of the takeaways, you're really technique. Keep track of what you do so you know, like you said, the numbers don't lie. If you're not making progress in the gym, then what you're doing is not working. No matter how hard you push yourself, no matter how hard you think you're working and how good of a job you think you're doing, you got some measurements, some data to tell you objectively what your results are. That's awesome. So you're doing some gymnastics moves now. You're training on... I'm just curious because I do a bit of calisthenics as well myself. So I've seen that. Well, I've been following two different programs, one from Gymnastic Bodies, the other from Gold Medal Bodies, Ryan Hurst and Christopher Summer. And I've got parallettes I'm working on. I wouldn't say I'm working on like, you know, when I say gymnastics, I'm not talking about iron crosses and all the amazing backflips and that type of thing, because I have a lot of injuries and Uh, my goal. Kids that are tiny, you know, and they have like one meter to the floor, not two. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm on the heavier side and I want to look good. I want to feel good. Mm -hmm. And gymnastics is a very relative strength oriented sport. So being big and strong is not really as good as being smaller and strong, right? Yes. So I care about having size. I like being the size I'm at right now. I'm the biggest I've ever been in my life, which is 205 pounds. I was 210, but I lost a few pounds of body fat recently. Yeah, and I'm 100. When I was competing in jiu-jitsu, I was 185. Oh, wow. So I like being like this because... For a long time, I was like that skinny guy who competed in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but people looked at me and they were like, no, whatever, you know, (laughs) and now I look like what I can do. Actually, I was in better shape before, so I look bigger and tougher, but I'm Mm. actually not, but people think I am. It's kind of funny like that. That's good. Anyway, yeah, very cool, Sabina, and let's get into a little bit of how you train MMA athletes because... Mm -hmm. A lot of people have seen MMA training on, maybe they watched the UFC, maybe they saw it on YouTube, and all they see is like, okay, MMA fighters go for five-minute rounds, either three to five rounds, depending on if it's a normal fight or championship fight. So what we're going to do, we're going to take five exercises and just hammer them out one minute each and then take a minute rest because that mimics a fight. And it's all these crazy exercises that hitting tires with sledgehammer and you know, doing all this other crazy stuff. How does it really work, Sabina? Do you know, I should be called strength coach, not strength and conditioning coach for MMA because what I work on with the guys mostly is strength and power later on. If I do any of this type of training, any circuit type of training, because it has got its place in training MMA athletes as well. If I do it, I do it literally two weeks before the fight. And the reason is that I want to deload them. And to be absolutely honest, is not as super intense as you see on some YouTube clips. In terms of MMA athlete, the thing is, yeah, it's cool. MMA is a cardiovascular sport, big time. It's aerobic sport with anaerobic elements because five times five minute rounds definitely taxes your aerobic system. But I think where the mistake is where other coaches make. They don't look what the fighters are doing outside the gym. In the end, strength and conditioning coaches for not only for MMA, for any sport, we're not 
the head coaches, we're not the main coaches, we are supporting ones. So we have to look at what the athlete is doing outside the gym and then we have to hit in the gym what is missing. I spend a lot of time on strength training. I spend a lot of time on injury prevention. Sometimes I spend a lot of time on building the guys back up because they come destroyed. The cardiovascular bit and power endurance bit, all of that is taken care of during their sparring sessions, during their technical sessions, and so on. It's not something It's not something I have to worry about hugely. Actually, strength training improves their cardiovascular ability as well. Their cardio improves because they can lift heavier. Obviously, there is a thin line there because I cannot focus too much only on strength because it's everything costs something. So marathon runner will not be a great power lifter and vice versa. So it's finding that golden middle, which is correct for MMA guys. So far, I haven't come across any guy who had problems with the cardio. Yeah, awesome to hear. And by the way, unfortunately, I never got to participate in an MMA fight. I was training for one. I injured my left shoulder and I was a personal trainer at the time. And I was like, fuck this. Screw up my business. I'd rather make money than try to do this. I'm not going to have a long career. But I did do a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions. I've competed against world champions. I lost. But at least I've won more matches than I lost. It was due to hard training. But anyway, what I'm getting at is, you know, I found the same thing. First of all, you got to look at what the person needs. What I found a lot of guys in MMA, in sports in general, in energy intensive sports in general, like even soccer or something, they need to work on their strength. That's what they're missing because the practice gives them so much of that aerobic conditioning, anaerobic conditioning, whatever they happen to do, whether that's long runs or doing short explosive drills, depending on the sport and the coach that they have. But it's really developing that foundation of strength and what you said, that injury prevention, so important. The thing is, if you say that you train MMA athletes and the main bit you do is preventing them from getting injured. So it's injury prevention. It doesn't sound as sexy as if you say, yeah, I'm trained them till death. But that's the main thing because now looking at the MMA guys, even the new generation, the age is getting higher and higher. So you still have guys who compete at the age over 40. You don't want to damage these guys when they are in their 20s because to be absolutely honest, there is not that much money in the sport. So they have to win as many fights as they can. They have to get good contracts because... If they don't, where will the money come from? And athletes retire pretty way quicker than office workers. Yeah, that's injury prevention is a huge thing, at least from my perspective. You know what? I should probably have someone on that I totally disagree with so I can get into some debates. But, you know, I already listened to you, your interviews. I already know that we were on the same page, but I love the way you explain it. Actually, believe it or not, I have friends who are professional MMA fighters. I never trained them. I never trained the BJJ guys. One reason is because they were all broke. Unfortunately, they just don't make money. In fact, some guys sell their tickets right before their fight instead of resting and preparing mentally, letting their bodies recover. They're selling tickets. It's just bullshit. But so I didn't get into it that much. I just trained myself. So I would love to hear an example of one of your MMA athletes. Like what's their weekly training schedule? How many times do they train with you? And then how many other workouts do they do for the other disciplines? 
one day a week is rest day and it's usually Sunday. They usually work as trainers themselves. So it's long days of work. I train them twice a week only. I don't train them more. So they have two sessions with me. On top of that, they usually train minimum two times or maximum even up to four times a day. And these are guys based in London. So that's quite a few sessions during the week altogether. I think, I believe they have three sparring sessions. All the rest is technical sessions of different disciplines. So it's either striking, it's grappling and so on and so on. I believe it's slightly different in America and maybe even in different parts of England. But the biggest problem in London is that there is always a huge distance to cover from one gym to another. So from one practice to another. And it's such a pain because the guys have to travel sometimes. I have people who travel to me for an hour and a half one way, then to come back home hour and a half and then travel for another hour to another gym where they have grappling or or BJJ or I have a great girl who actually won gold today at London Open. She's an amazing little kid and she works as a firefighter as well. So sometimes she comes to me to train after whole night being on shift as firefighter and then she trains with me in the morning then she goes to bjj practice and then she can go home and sleep for a little bit and go back to bjj practice so it's a tough life but you know the guys are unbelievable i've worked with different athletes and i absolutely love working with fighters and i'm talking of any combat discipline because all of them they do go through hardship on a day-to-day basis and it's so easy to to say oh no I'm too tired I can't do this I can't do that but they push through and I love it it inspires me every day every single one of them I absolutely love them to bits well that's cool and total respect for those guys they're doing it because they have something deep down inside that's driving them to do it because they want to it certainly isn't as lucrative as other sports and they're <laughs> they don't really get the recognition of other sports and yeah. they only get paid when they're at the top level competitions like the UFC and whatnot yeah very cool what if a guy who let's say maybe he does some martial arts a little bit mm-hmm. or maybe he has another sport or maybe he doesn't really train anything like that at all if he wanted to train if he wanted to go through a preparatory sort of like three or four week phase program could you give some general recommendations on how to go from one phase to the next regardless to be absolutely honest regardless of what spots i work with what i always look at is how the body is structured first because this is usually what needs to be fixed first. So my friend has described two types of people that I differentiate really well. He calls them either Donald Duck or Pink Panther. And these are two types of postures you see one way or the other. So I get someone, I assess the posture and assess what needs to be worked on, what needs to be switched on, what needs to be relaxed a little bit more. And from then on, when we fix the imbalances, we're working on the program. If I get someone new who just wants general fitness, say I would focus, I probably would take a person for two, three sessions a week. And this is not professional athlete. With pro athlete, I don't like working with them more than twice a week. 
because I don't think they need any more unless for some reason if they injured. But like regular person, I would like to see them minimum two times a week for a couple of weeks or three times. And if they see me twice, they get, I write down third session for them to do. I would like them to do some sort of cardio. So I probably would put them on the rower or airdyne for a little bit. And that would be interval training, but not crazy interval. So say on the rower, one session would be 10 times 250 meters. And I would check the fastest time for 250 meters and I would add 12 seconds to it. So 250 meters slower than the fastest time by 12 seconds, rest one minute, 250 slower than the best time by 11 and so on and so on. Gone over 10 times, which the last three should feel hard, the ones before shouldn't. So it's a little bit interval-ish but it's still working a bit more on the cardio bit. And then one day we would work on one major lift. So I would do a deadlift day and then pull-push exercise on the day. The other day I would do squat as a major lift and then pull-push exercise. If they can, then I probably would fit another kettlebell strength endurance-based session or I would add a little bit of kettlebell work after one of the major lifts, such as strength endurance, some sort of complex, something like that. It really and honestly depends on the person because... Of course. What I tell guys sometimes is like, listen, you need to ask me questions because I got so much in my brain. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, the more specific you can be, the better. So thank you so much for doing your best and I'm putting you on the spot like that. So let's go over what you said again, because it was interesting. So one day would be the 10 intervals of 250 meters on the rower, for example. Yeah, that's just example of an interval because I love the rower because it's no impact. So it's really safe for the joints. So even if I have someone who cannot squat well, because if you can't squat well, you can't run for me. That's full stop. I agree 100%. (laughs) It's easier for me to get that person to row correctly. And then they can still develop like cardiovascular endurance without smashing the joints. However, telling them to do half an hour on the rower, steady pace, it's just not going to happen because it's freaking boring. So <laughs> so I play a little bit with numbers because that gives them a bit of focus and in a way distraction from the actual training because it's quite short, but it's longish. They get that 20 minutes on the rower, they get puffed up a little bit. Yeah. Cool. And then the next day would be a focus on a major lift, like a deadlift with push, uh-huh. with push pull exercise after on the same day or on the next day. Uh, I'll do it on the same day because let's say I train someone Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. So Monday would be major lift with push pull or some sort of filler, which will be some complex with dumbbells or kettlebells, strength endurance, power endurance, strength endurance, not power endurance, complex. Why I would do it all on the same day? Because if I start someone, they're not going to lift heavy. Even if I checked, have experience with weights, and if I checked the one rep maxes, they're not going to be the actual one rep maxes. I call them fake one rep maxes because I never allow, especially for someone new, to fail in terms of form, not even a little bit when I check their one rep max first time. Never. Second, third time, and so on, when I know them better, then when you lift for one rep max, your form may actually go a little bit. And I may allow it a bit, but not hugely. Yeah, so they're not going to lift heavy as such, say heavish. So it can be one major lift with some sort of assistance work. Then Wednesday would be 
interval training, rowing or airdyne, swimming, more cardio-based. And mm -hmm. the third day would be, uh, again, major lift with some assistance work. Because the major lifts for me is something I want to cover and I want them to get very good in terms of technique and having very good understanding of how their body should be positioned. So yeah. Very cool. So Monday would be a major lift followed by a push-pull, some strength training push-pull, and then some strength endurance afterward. And that could be like a kettlebell. Any accessory work. So for example, if I get someone who looks like Pink Panther, so they have hunched back, they have no bum, the hamstrings are really tight, the hip flexors are very loose. So on that day, apart from the major lift, we'll do all the assistance work that will help that posture. And I will put it in some sort of, I don't know, I can even put it in a circuit format with longer rests between the exercises, but they're going to be corrective exercises for someone like that. Or if you have said Donald Ducks or someone who has got usually big belly, even if there is no fat on it, it still looks big because of the excessive lumbar curve. They have tight quads, they have tight hip flexors, then I may add some lunges, weighted lunges there, nice ones that will stretch the hip flexors better as an assistance work and other assistance exercises some midsection work i'll call it just to avoid <laughs> the word core tighten those tighten those abs oh yeah core core abs, training exactly. it's okay we can say core training on here because yeah. it's not fitness professionals but yeah i know what you mean yeah. core is kind of like if it's a personal trainer or strength conditioning coach saying core and it's to me i'm like oh man really you know <laughs> come on save that marketing term for uh when you're talking to general population or your athletes. Exactly. Yeah, no, I hear you. And thanks for breaking that down. And what Sabina is really going over there is mm -hmm. she's talking about, listen, you need to work out. You need to get a training effect. You need to push yourself. You got to lift got to focus on those major lifts like deadlifts and squats, but you also need to make sure that if you have some posture that is imbalanced, like you're hunched over because you spend too many hours at a desk, you need to do exercises that's going to get strength in those upper back muscles to put you back into place. Or if you got a non-existent butt that you're doing some exercises oh, that are going to strengthen your hips and your glutes, you know, it's so important to have that stuff. So thanks for going over that, Sabina. Let's talk about like some recovery tips because recovery is something that maybe you and I and other solid trainers and strength and conditioning professionals, we put a lot of emphasis on it. But if you tell that to the average person, they're like, what are you, an idiot? The more I train, the more I do, the harder I push myself, the better it is. And that's not the case. That's definitely not a physiological fact. And there's plenty of evidence to show that, right? Both research-wise and real world. So how do you get your clients who are beat up? And let's focus on the general population right now because they're the ones with kids. Maybe they have a stressful job. They've got kids that they're carting around to football or to soccer or to, I guess that's the same thing where you're from. But yeah, how do we get people to recover better? Because that's how we're actually going to get stronger and get better results when our body can recover from the, the stress of our training. It's going to be about spending money again, because I truly believe in sports massage. <laughs> so I love it. 
Uh, we have a great girl here. I send most of the guys to, most of the people I train, and I use her myself. And she is unbelievable. She's been tremendous help. Second thing, if someone cannot afford to go to sports massage therapist pretty often, I do believe in self-massage, self-soft tissue release. So we have different toys like TP therapy and so on, which is actually really good for the guys who are long-distance endurance athletes. So I show them what they can do to release, especially their calf muscles, soleus mostly, which is usually the problem for the runners, to work on that IT band, to work on the quads, to roll the hamstrings, glutes, and so on. So if they do it pre and after workout, then they can maintain their muscles in good health for longer and they don't need to go to sports massage therapists so often. So that I love sauna. And for me personally, swimming is a great recovery technique. There is something in it, especially for people who lift heavy. It actually relaxes the muscles really well. I use magnesium oil. And lots of the guys I train, they use magnesium oil as well. The funny thing with magnesium oil, it actually helped my tendonitis, which I had for years. And I had acupuncture on it and every single possible treatment done. And touch wood, for the last year, I haven't had it. As soon as I feel my elbow going, I just spray magnesium on it. Honestly, I'm shocked myself. It worked. So that, I use Mike's magnesium spray. And there is really good heating gel called Krauterhof. It's produced, manufactured by a company called Krauterhof, which is a German company, I believe, and it's called Horse Balm. So I use pre-workout the heating one and post-workout the cooling one. And that actually really helps as well. Horse um, Balm. Horse Balm by Krauterhof. I'll send you a link. It's so cheap. It's unbelievable. I think in UK, you can buy it on Amazon for like pound fifty, but it's the best thing cool. I have discovered. It's really, really cool. We do take stuff like systemic enzymes, BCAAs, which all of that helps, but it kind of goes together. So all the recovery practices just are there. And for me, the days in between the hard sessions, like I said before, I do three hard sessions. The day between the hard sessions are actually recovery days. So I do some sort of cardiovascular, say, activity, whether it's uh, long walking, which... I never liked walking. I actually love walking more than running now because it's yeah, really me too. It's my recovery. Yeah. It's just to move, just to flush that blood through the muscles and remove the waste products. You know, that's a great thing. I would say yoga, but actually I can't because yoga, as much as it can be brilliant, is actually not good for everyone. And I would be really aware if I trained a female client who has got a bit loose joints to send that person to yoga because she or if it happens for male athletes because it happens as well they actually need to get tighter they don't need to stretch more so yoga for people like that because you spend so much time in eccentric positions it may not be a good idea but there are guys for whom yoga can actually be a good recovery sure uh, as well i'll just step in there a second because what you said was so important what sabina said in which i 100 percent agree because i even have a guy client who's like this if you're someone who's like, you're bringing your foot up, you got tremendous flexibility and you don't need yoga. You need more strength training and probably doing more yoga without 
and getting more range of motion, trying to push the limits of your flexibility without giving yourself strength, probably going to put you at more of a risk for injury. And so funny, Sabina, you see those people who are what we call hypermobile and they keep trying to stretch and it, but they keep tightening up but they have more range of motion than everyone, 99% of everyone else. And it's, that's not what you want to do. You need to be careful with that type of thing. Personally, I love yoga, but I do a DVD at home Mm -hmm. and it's mostly breathing exercises. You know, stuff like that is very light. That's for recovery, like all breathing techniques and so on. That's brilliant. I mean, some of the fighters I train, he loves to meditate and it really benefits him a lot. If you ask me to meditate in a way he meditates, so sit motionless and listen to some sort of special music for meditation, I would go crazy. I actually <laughs> get anxious. But for me, swimming, when I go swimming, because where I go, there is no music. The swimming pool is usually empty, so it's just me there. And for me, this is meditation for me, but I have to move when I meditate. Yeah, (laughs) I hear you. And for me, this is kind of meditative state because I swim quite a bit in terms of the distance, but most of the time I don't do any intervals, just get into the pace and just swim. That, That really, really helps a lot because it's funny you mentioned that breathing and stuff because recovery should not only be for the body it should be for the central nervous system which involves includes your brain we are bombarded with so many pictures every day so much noise and it's actually really hard to kind of calm down and be quiet which really helps with training as well yeah and a lot of people will go to the gym and put more stress into their body to try to calm down and that does work to an extent but make sure you incorporate some of the things that sabina is suggested here and that that i've chimed in with to make sure that you're recovering not just your body but your mind and i'll put up all those links on the show notes page and sabina thanks for such an awesome super informative interview for a lot of people this is going to be their first time listening to someone who is in the trenches and who knows what really what they're talking about because there's a lot of people out there who do fitness marketing and I'm not going to say that they're bad but they don't have like the type of experience that you or I have where we've been training clients hundreds of clients probably in my career of 15 years and you work with all these different athletes and you've been in the fitness industry learning from some of the best in the business and traveling the world learning from them and just really getting in the trenches and implying everything you know. So thank you so much. Where can someone Thanks. find you if they want to learn more about you? Well, through my website, which is cjscombat.com, there is a contact form. So if anyone wants to contact me, it's best to do it through it. I'm also on Facebook. My profile is public. So anyone can become my friend <laughs> and on Instagram. And it's all under Sabina Scala so, and Twitter. Cool. But the website is the best way to contact me. And uh, please be patient. I always respond. Sometimes I don't respond for quite a while if I'm really busy, but I try to respond to every single email I get. Cool. And if you do email Sabina, tell her that you heard her here and please don't bother her with stupid requests or anything. (laughs) Be cool. Of course, you listen to my show. So of course, you're not going to do that. But just wanted to put it out there. Well, thank you so much. And 
you know, they listen to this whole interview and it's like, wow, a lot of what she says, she really knows what she's talking about. She sounds like she has a lot of experience learning from all these great people. What would be the one biggest takeaway that you want a listener to go back and apply in their life right now? Focus on the foundation. Don't jump before you can squat. Don't run before you can walk. Really put that ego deep down in the pocket and assess honestly without any ego what is working well, what is not working that well and focus on the thing that is not working that well and fix it. Foundation is the key to everything and I think that's what I would love to people to understand Everyone wants to look like an athlete, not everyone wants to train like an athlete because training an athlete is actually not, for me, it's exciting and for them it's exciting, but it may not look exciting to someone from outside because it's just like, oh, why are you doing the same exercises all the time? It's because they work. Because yeah. they work. And all other people get to see is the final product on the field, exactly. in the ring, in the octagon. But you got to know what goes on behind the scenes to cause them to be able to perform like that. So serious knowledge being dropped here. Sabina Scala, thank you so much. You can check her out at cgscombat.com. All those links will be in the show notes page. Thanks so much. I had a great time speaking with you. Thank you. 